Hello, Career Cohort. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Wong, founder of Words of Distinction. We talk about tools for achieving career success, inspirational stories about overcoming career and life challenges, and how we can recalibrate our perspective to better enjoy the journey forward. Today, my guest is Anne Janser, who is an author, nonfiction book coach, and blogger who explores the science and mystery of writing as a means of communication. She loves helping people with their best writing voices. And I know this because I subscribe to Anne's newsletter, which is always helpful. And she will give information on that at the end of this podcast. So stay tuned. Anne's business books include The Workplace Writer's Process and 33 Ways Not to Screw Up Your Business Emails. This is among a number of other books, but we're really focusing in on these business-related correspondence. So those are the, the two books that Anne is focused on. So today we're going to talk about servant authorship, tuning your communication to the reader, and how your voice matters more in a world of chat GPT. So welcome, Anne. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad you're here too. So Anne, you coined the term servant authorship. Most of us have heard of servant leadership, but servant authorship is new from you. Uh, So can you share how you came up with this approach to writing? Well, you know, the words, again, like you riffed off of the idea of servant leadership, but the approach is something that I've obviously been working with my whole writing career, which is that we worry so hard about what we want to say. And yet for a writing to be effective, that is not the whole picture. Really, we need to think about what it is that the reader needs or wants to hear. And when we embody that when we say, okay, I'm going to write from a place of servant authorship. It helps so much with so many of the phases of the writing. It gets us out of our own head. It's like, oh, you know, I'm writing this email and I'm really self-conscious about how I'm going to appear. What if you shut that off? What if you say, wait a minute, I'm writing this email because I want to serve the recipient with something, maybe an offer, maybe an invitation, whatever it is, how do I frame it that way? How do I change it? And when we start thinking about other people instead of ourselves, when we write, many good things happen. One is that all of that sort of self-conscious, self-judgy stuff uh, gets damped down. And two, it makes us much more effective communicators because we are thinking about what the other people, what the other person or people need and want to read. It's such a a simple and yet powerful shift in the way that we think about writing. And it unlocks so many things from writing a book to writing an email to writing a blog post. All of these things become a little bit easier in many ways when we embody a sense of servant authorship, of serving people with our words. I love the fact that you brought up where you're losing this self-conscious kind of nagging feeling, oh my gosh, what am I going to write? That's always the case, right? People always say when you're serving others, you're you're moving outside of yourself and looking out and, and you kind of lose that angst in anything you do, right? Yeah, it's it's such a gift. I mean, it's it's <laughs> when I work with writers, 
you know, based on my own experience too, we shut ourselves down so quickly with, oh, this is no good. Oh, who are you? Why are you writing this? Mm-hmm. When this is just a tool to get past this, partly to think about somebody needs this. There's someone out there who's going to read this and say, this helped me today. What a motivator that is. That gets us out of this this sort of self-referential spiral that we can get stuck in our writing. And it helps us really approach it from a whole different perspective. Um, so useful. Right. So when you are working with clients or or what you see in emails and and any other kind of correspondence, what are some of the biggest mistakes people make in their writing? Yeah, so let's look at emails because, you know, we are all <laughs> surrounded by emails, mm-hmm. right? Just constantly. We're generating them, we're reading them. Um, the biggest mistakes, uh, let's put aside not thinking about what recipient needs for a moment. The biggest mistakes are often just rushing through it, just not taking a moment to think, to read carefully. And I have done this. I still do this. I wrote a book about email mistakes and I will still (laughs) be tempted down this path. I'll just real quick send that out. Wait before I hit send. I've got to read it again. Is this necessary? We include too much unnecessary stuff in emails. Mm -hmm. I always end up, you know, deleting. I'll start writing and it's like, no, don't really need to say that. I'll take that out. We're all so pressed for time. Uh, that it is an act of respect for the other person to make your email more concise uh, and include what you need and not much more. Um, It is an act of of generosity and respect for the reader to do that. Um, So I think mistake number one, we go too fast. (laughs) Mistake number two, we throw too much stuff in there. You might be the opposite. Maybe you're one of these people who's just like, lunch, three, yeah, Good. You know, maybe those are their emails you write. I don't know. In which case, maybe you're putting in a little bit too little. So those are two common mistakes. Um, they're, they're categories of mistakes. Each of those things breeds other mistakes. Like moving too quickly breeds some of those terrible mistakes of sending the email to the wrong person or, right. you know, not attaching something when you wanted to attach something. Uh, all of these things that are just email embarrassments. Yeah. And you know what? Um, Because I get all of your uh, newsletters, I know one of the things that you talk about is not getting to the point quickly enough. Yeah. Right? So, you know, and that's common in cover letters. It's common in resumes, getting what, you know, what is the most relevant thing at the very top. Yeah. One of the things that I, I love that you said we write our emails too fast. And that's interesting because when I work with clients, one of the things that I'm, I'm really into batching projects and you know this about me and right. We're, we're trying to batch things uh, or I'm sorry, not batching projects, but batching elements of projects. And one of the things is I say, don't let your emails distract you or get in the way, especially if you're in the flow of writing and So I say batch your emails and I say that like at the end of the day, because it's quote unquote, the easiest thing to do. However, there's a caveat with that. And that goes to what you're talking about. This is fast. You you can't go too fast because if you think it's just this 
brainless exercise that you do at the end of the day, you go through your emails and respond, you can end up wasting time because say you're a senior leader and you're giving one of your reports a task or, or a direction on a project and you're not clear, that can be a, a huge time waster because if that person doesn't get it done right, then they have to do it all over again, right? Yeah. I mean, I think certain emails obviously can go quickly. It's like, do you want to do this thing? Yes or no. I mean, you can be quick, but if you're giving someone a work assignment, if you're providing feedback, you know, okay, mm. that let's put that off in its own category. Providing feedback to someone um, needs to be done with delicacy and care because we're really, really bad at interpreting tone in written emails. We just are, you know, you may think your email is cheery and witty and funny, right? Mm-hmm. And if the right. person who's opening it just was told they had to lay off 10 people in their department, they are not going to read it as cheery and witty and funny. They are more likely to interpret it as negative or complaining or, you know, I mean, it's, it's right, so right. interesting. So we have to think a lot about context. Um, I don't want, you know, I don't want to say people need to spend more time doing email heavens. That's like the worst thing to tell from someone. Mm-hmm. But I think you need to think about which are important. I think a lot of your really work-related emails need to need a moment of thought. And And here's a challenge. I mean, in any email chain, ask yourself, how can I minimize the number of follow-on emails that have to happen? Instead of, yeah, you want to have a meeting? It's like, yeah, you want to have a meeting? Here's my calendar. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So we won't have three more back and forth to schedule that yes. meeting. Here's, yeah. here's a request of time for my calendar. Um, or, you know, being super clear on your instructions. And if you need more, find a time on my calendar and we'll talk about it. Or, you know, I mean, just how do we get rid of these super long email chains? If, if email chains going on forever, it's probably a sign that it should live somewhere else other than email. Maybe you need to hop on a call, do a quick video, something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if somebody is getting copied on everything all the time, what's the incentive to actually read it? Oh, I'm getting copied on something I don't need again, which it could be something really, really important, right? Yeah, I think if you copy people randomly on everything that you send, and not randomly, but if you copy people excessively on the things that you send, you are training them not to pay attention to your emails. You are training them not to read your emails. So if you are copying someone, you can call it out, you know, uh, Joe, copying you so that you understand this conversation, no need to respond. You can frame it and then they'll say, oh, that's great. Emily always considers what I need to know or do from this email. But yeah, we already are overwhelmed by email. You certainly don't want to train people to ignore yours. You want to train them, when I get an email from Emily, I'm going to open it because it's always furthering an important conversation or it's always something I need to know. It's always worthwhile. And it's going to be brief. And it will be brief. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hopefully they think that about me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And and then just reemphasizing that don't bury the lead, right? From a journalism perspective. Yeah. I, I, you know, if you want to have a little chit chatty in the email, you can add it at the bottom. Here's something I love doing and it really sets apart um, when I have a substantive email to send someone, I put subheads in the email, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, about this afternoon's meeting. Three points, you know. Have you tried the new coffee place? You could stick that down at the bottom, and the person knows how to deal with that. So if you have more than one idea going in an email, you could make it multiple emails, or you can just put little bold by, by a subhead. I mean, I just write a few words, title of what follows, and I make it bold, so someone can scan my email. It's like, okay, I. 
I see the three things she's talking about in this email. I've taken care of them. I can delete it happily or there's something I want to keep in here. I'm going to keep this, but I can get right to it. I know right where it is because she put a subhead in there. It takes just a moment of your time and yet it's so nice for other people. You know, there are three things I want from you. I'm going to bold each of them. It's really obvious to you if you have encountered all the important meat of this email or not. Right, so, right. Yeah. Subheads for the win. <laughs> yeah, subheads being relevant to what the reader needs. And yeah. this goes, this all ties into cover letters. So it has to be skimmable. It has to be relevant to the reader. It has to be easy on the eyes. That's something that you talk about a lot. You know, now that we're looking at things on our phone, whether it's a LinkedIn about section or it's a cover letter, we need to limit the number of sentences in our paragraphs. Please, please limit the number of sentences in your paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then within that paragraph, limit the number of words in your sentence. You sent out a, a wonderful newsletter today, and we could, we could do a whole podcast on that. Uh, but one of the things that you talk about, and I'm paraphrasing, but our brains are so focused on navigating complex sentences when they come to us that we don't have that capacity in our brains to actually fully appreciate the ideas that someone's sharing with us. Exactly. I love we that. show up with a certain amount of working memory for everything, right? This is just a finite, limited thing. So if you're giving people long sentences that have multiple clauses and they got to follow through to the end, some of that working memory is busy with tracking the sentence structure. It's like, oh, I got to remember the subject with this. I'm waiting for the verb, you know, <laughs> right? right. I got to down. <laughs> yeah, there's an interjection, but she's going to come back to this, I think. So now you've just mm -hmm. taken up some of my mind with that. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to explain something complicated, you probably want all of my mind on the subject, on the thing you're trying to say and not the how of your saying it. So, and this is especially true with emails because, you know, I might sit down to read a book. I'm going to sit in my chair, have my cup of tea, maybe even a print book. I will happily plow through those sentences and take my time and all that. I'm reading something on my phone, an email, and I'm just about to go out and do something else. There is no way. I mean, half of my working memory is already, uh, what coffee am I going to order? Or, you know, it's, it's doing other things. How much time do I have before I got to be in that place doing that thing? So, I, I, I don't put in long sentences. Don't even confront people with a big wall of, of words that they're going to have to go through because they might look at it and go, Oof, that's long. I'll read it later. You know, right, right. I have done this myself. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking. I have, I've been guilty. Yep, 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 me too. So I'm going to quote you here. Okay. Because I think it's an important quote. The more complex your ideas, the simpler the sentence structure should be. I'm going to repeat that. The more complex your ideas, the simpler the sentence structure should be. You've done studies on this. Yes. Well, I haven't done the studies. I have read the studies. Other people okay, have done yeah. them. But it is absolutely true. There's a study um, by Daniel Oppenheimer. And the, the title, which I'm going to mangle because I don't have it in front of me, was something like erudite sentences used irrespective of something. You know, And it's a problem <laughs> with overly, long, overly complex yeah. language. Um, so here's the thing. When people can't understand or struggle to understand. When you add to the burden of understanding through your language, they don't think that you're smarter. In fact, the harder they have to work to understand, instead of saying, wow, I'm just, must not be very bright. I can't understand it. They go, 
wow, that, that person is really not very bright. They can't explain it, right? Mm -hmm. So you may think, and, and this is important because, well, first of all, coming out of school, we're all trained. It's like, mm, look at these long, elaborate sentences. This is how academics write, these long sentences. Yeah. And we echo that. And so we, we master that. And we're like, enjoy, relish the beauty of my prose. And you might be tempted to pull that out in the cover letter, you know, whip out all the jargon about how fantastic you are in a long sentence and very elaborate. And they will think less of you if you do that. They actually studied people applying to PhD programs in English literature, which you would think would love this kind of writing. And they made some of those applications more complex and fancier words than others. And the people evaluating those potential students liked the students who wrote more simply. These are English professors who know their way around the sentence, mind you, mind you, right? And they thought, these are smarter. You know, if they were evaluating the students, they wanted to accept the ones who wrote more plainly. So that's, I would think that that might translate pretty darn well to job hunting, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Leave Dickens for that time when you're sitting with your tea in your armchair, right? Right, right. It, there's a role for this. There's a place for that, but it's not the business world generally, you know? And yeah, and you bring up a really good point. I mean, if you want to win over a recruiter or a hiring manager, keep it skimmable, keep it direct and to the point. Again, how are you going to solve their problems? Writing to the reader. This is servant authorship again, right? So making it easier on the eyes. And that, you know, some part of that is formatting. But the content, again, matters. You want to have white space. You want to have short sentences. There are a number of ways that we've learned to lengthen our sentences for some reason that we felt like, and I, I mean, I do it in common conversation too, where I'll say very unique. Do we need very when well, we're talking about unique? Or, and maybe sometimes we do, but there, there are just certain ways that we can shorten sentences, make more space on the resume. And if you're comparing, if I'm a recruiter and I'm slogging through all these resumes, I want the person, <laughs> I'm going to kind of lean toward that person, even if it's unconscious the person who's making my life easier, right? Yes, yes. And it may be unconscious. It may be totally unconscious. But yeah, the person who makes your job a little bit easier, that's who you're going to just instinctively prefer, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the recruiters have to think, you know, they're as overwhelmed as anybody else might be, so. Yeah, they are working not just for the, the company who's hiring you, they're working for other companies and multiple roles within those companies. So think yep. about that. So was there anything else that we should be conscious of you know, I guess sometimes we have to know our audience. I know you've written about that too. And uh, emojis sometimes work, sometimes not, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, depends on who you're writing. Right. And also how terse you are, right? Follow, yes. do, do you follow the lead of the other person? Yeah. I think if, you, if you're having an email exchange with someone, it's relatively fair to say, well, they have a long flowery greeting. I can, you know, have a little bit of a similar greeting. You can kind of mimic them. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm just going to share, okay, I'm going to give your listeners one power tip that will set their emails apart. One little easy to do thing that really fits into the idea of servant authorship. So you've written an email, whether it's, it's you know, something job related for a colleague, whatever, you've written an email, take your first draft and read the first sentence or two. You know what's coming, Emily, because I've given this tip before. Read the first sentence and I'm going to guarantee like nine times out of 10, it probably begins with, 
I. Hi, I'm a thus and such. I'm interested in this. Da 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 da. I, 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 I. You know, so it's it's all about me, the writer. Challenge yourself to rewrite it to include or to be centered on the reader. You're advertising for this role. I don't know how to do it. I'm just, what if I open up as the recipient and the email's about me instead of about you? Wow, that will set you apart. Nobody does that. We all begin with I. You might want to know, you had this job listing. It looks very interesting. Perhaps I can be a fit. You see how you just shifted it from being about me to being about you. It's just a little challenge in rewriting. But it just suddenly, you know, as a reader... And you know that recruiters are just reading a lot of stuff where it's like, mm -hmm. I'm the greatest, you know, <laughs> right? And to open it up and it's like, oh, this is about me. You've got my attention in a way that, that other people don't. So super little ninja trick with your emails. And it also resets your mind to start thinking about the reader and what they need. It's this little empathy exercise. Right, absolutely. And moving right into what makes them a great company, what, what's intriguing about that company, and how you can serve them. And that does tie back to the person, but it's not just kind of regurgitating my life, my career history in my cover letter, right? It's more of, okay, this is what I can do for you. This is what I'm excited to do for you. And that yeah. all ties back to that. I feel like the cover letter should put a little personality, a little bit of you. Absolutely. Um, yep. I mean, the resume, they can see that stuff that's on the resume. The cover letter should show something else about you as a human being. I mean, fundamentally, the recruiter wants to know who, who is this person and why might they be a good match for this, mm -hmm. this company, this role, whatever. The cover letter is to be read by a human being. You know, it's, it's human to human communication. So. Exactly. Which is a great segue to now talking about chat GPT. Yeah. What do you think about it? Have you done some experiments with it? I've done a little bit of experiments with it. Um, yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. And the issue is how are people gonna use it, right? I think it's a fascinating tool. And if you think about it as a tool that, that gives you maybe some ideas, maybe unblocks mm -hmm. you as a brainstorming partner, I think that's a fantastic use for it. You know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. No one's gonna say, Oh, you shouldn't use a thesaurus if you can't come up with a word on your own, right? So I think similarly, you know, if you get ideas from ChatGPT, that's fantastic. But I'm super worried by some of the things. I, I saw an article recently. I saw someone I like it admire said, you know, oh, I asked it to write this thing or take this thing that I wrote and put it in the style of this other famous person, you know. So I want this to sound like, you know, Tony Robbins wrote it or something. Mm -hmm. And... You know, and then to publish that, I think, is problematic. I think if you say, well, what does that do to the writing style? And then what might I integrate? That's one thing. But, I, you know, I just, or having ChatGPT just write stuff for you is, mm -hmm. is a real problem. And I think it's a huge problem if you are applying for jobs, if you just take what it writes and put it out there. There's ethical and legal things we haven't quite figured out. But, but fundamentally, you want to find a job where you are a good fit. Right. So if ChatGPT helps you get your story and, and get out of discomfort and find an aspect of your voice that is authentic to you, go for it. But if it spins out something that doesn't sound like you at all to get the job, then aren't you setting yourself and everyone up for uh, unhappy 
you know, false pretenses in a sense. So, and I agree, I think it's a great writing prompt. I mean, it can be a great writing prompt. I use AI minimally. I, what I, I never use it for my newsletters. I don't use it for my blog. I do use it for when I'm going to capture. So I'll take, I will take this conversation and I'll transcribe it and I put it into an AI app that I have, but it's only, I only use it for maybe a title. Maybe it will help me come up with my title yeah. and it will help me come up with my, um, the summary that's on my podcast app. Great. And it will help me come up with this part of the summary for my uh, my website related to the podcast, but not my blog. It does help spur ideas or something. Oh, I yeah, I really should include that. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed I've had to tweak. I've never had it come up with the exact right title or the you know the the exact wording, which is fine. Again, we're talking about writing prompts, and it's not capturing my voice. So I did yes. an experiment. And I had a job description called Director of Salesforce Architecture, highly technical. I have a lot of technical clients, okay? So the first thing I did was I said, let's come up with a a cover letter. And what I noticed is it it comes up with kind of tired words like seasoned, um, I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then there was nothing in there about, you know, how this person connected with that company Mm-hmm. But it, it could be useful in, okay, chat GPT caught what was seems to be important in the job description. So I think yes. in that way, it's useful. But yeah. from a tone, from, a, from bringing personality, you know, I wouldn't go forward with that. And the other thing is, you, you know, you talked about what are the legal issues going to be down the road? Because you're right, we're a little bit behind the curve. It's, it's moving very quickly. So yeah. how will we manage that? And worst case scenario... If you take that job description, you plug it in and you say, okay, th- I'm just going to use this plug and play. I'm going to use this uh, cover letter. What if somebody else does? Now, I don't know what the chances are, but <laughs> two people come up with the exact same uh, cover letter. You just never know, right? It might be a little different, but you know what? You're just going to be subsumed into a sea of sameness there, right? Exactly. I mean, because chat is just looking at this body of work that it has uh you know, you're going to sound like everybody else, right? right? Unless you give it some adjectives to work with, then you'll sound like an enthusiastic everybody else or a pet. You know, it's not human. It doesn't have a human voice. It can emulate a human voice, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have real emotion. It's it's a bot. So I, I also think, um, I read a, this gentleman, Omar Hassan, I think, wrote a book called mm-hmm. Chat GPT for Nonfiction Authors. So it's like, I got to write this. So actually, he had the bot write most of the book. And it was, you know, it was uh, the parts that the author wrote. I'm like, oh, yes. You know, and then the parts that the bot wrote, I'm kind of like, I'm awake. I'm awake. You know, it was good. <laughs> there was content in there. But every sentence was something is something. Something is something. Something is something. Yeah. It's like, oh, ChatGPT needs a good editor to work on its writing voice, you know. And that's, okay, so in a world where people are doing chat, you know, we're using bots to generate writing the human mm-hmm. voice becomes a premium. So getting comfortable in your writing voice and showing up as a real human being is a premium skill. You know, yeah. work, work on that writing. It will be more valuable. Get comfortable with your writing. Do some of these tricks about empathy. You will be elevated above the people trying to do the quick, easy, just run it through an AI bot. Yeah, right. And, and you know, resume was really disappointing. 
I mean, the formatting wouldn't work anyway, but there are things <laughs> that they still use. In my test, I, this didn't come up, but in other people I know ha have tested it, said it came up with an objective statement. And if you want to talk about not writing for the reader, it's that objective statement, which nobody has used for years. That's all about me, me, me. Yep, yep. Here's <laughs> so, what I want. Here's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, okay. Exactly. Yeah. There's that. And then there was, um, you know, we don't really say uh, references available on request anymore. And, and I want to clarify, I only write for the business community. Those are my clients. Sure. So writing for the government, you know, they have different rules. If you're a physician, you have different rules for your CVs. But I'm speaking specifically about what you write for a, a resume for the business community. Yeah. So, or nonprofit even. So there are a number of things. And again, it's just, it's just really sterile. And, you know, the resume is more straight to the point, more than a cover letter. You don't have to show a lot of personality, but what you do have to show is how you're unique. And the the resumes that that I tested, and I even took, I even took a resume I had written and put that in there to write like the the LinkedIn about section. Mm -hmm. And it didn't talk about what made this person a superstar, which was really interesting because I, I fed it the information <laughs> from the resume. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're in agreement. Yeah, it's a, it's a tool. Yeah, it's a tool. Yep, and that's all tool. it is. And Grammarly, another tool. Grammarly is another one that I really yeah. like because that yeah. catches a lot of mistakes. I use Pro Writing Aid does the same thing. Um, there's a, a company called WordRake that has it lives in within Word and doesn't go to the cloud. So if you're working in a business where there's concerns over, you don't want to be feeding the AI bots, you can oh, use that. It's right. um, a WordRake. WordRake. It's a tool that works within Outlook and uh, Word uh, for the people working like in government and legal organizations where you you can't use Grammarly because it's looking at the stuff that you're writing, right? You know, it's yes. got to live within the more closed environment and they do a great job. You know, so there's um, a lot of tools. Absolutely. You're, you're crazy not to use technology to help you mm -hmm. with your writing. Absolutely. Use technology and experiment and see, you know, one of the, <laughs> I saw a suggestion of, well, use the bot to generate writing prompts for, you know, what are some writing prompts on this topic? And it might, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, oh yeah, I could write a blog post on that. I mean, there's so many ways yes. to use it, which are fascinating. Um, I saw a little program that I, <laughs> I use, you, you send it 10 different photos of you and it generates a headshot from it. You know, if, <laughs> wow, my latest LinkedIn headshot, if you go look for it, it's AI generated from other professional headshots and some personal photos. I just gave them the whole thing. It's like, Hey, I kind of like that one. Cause is that I right? Hate... Oh, I'll have to go look at that. Anne. <laughs> so AI that's is, so you cool. know, it does a lot of fascinating mm -hmm. stuff. Um, that's worth playing with. I'm playing and experimenting. But again, use it as a tool, but don't say, oh, thank heavens. Don't have to worry about writing now because that's covered. That's, that's right. not the right approach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good good note to end on. I, I don't know if there's anything else. One more tidbit of advice. I love that you start with not using I. Mm. Uh, yeah. And uh, was there anything else you wanted the listeners to go away well, with? You know, I think, you know, ultimately the, the most important writing skill you know, given that you have things that are going to help you with your grammar, all of that, the most important writing skill to develop is empathy. Mm -hmm. It's thinking about your reader and what they need. And that's the thing, you know, the bots cannot do for you. But when you know, we get something down, you can get tools to help clean it up. You can do all kinds of things. But uh, empathy is, is human. 
And uh, that's our edge right now. So Anne, I want to say that I don't subscribe to a lot of newsletters. I think my inbox can really get to become a mess <laughs> because of that. So I'm really, really very careful about who I subscribe to. And anybody who's listening right now, if you want to really learn how to write and improve your writing skills, follow Anne. And Anne, you're going to give information on how people can reach you or sign up for your newsletter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you should go to my website, which is my name, A-N-N-E, Janzer, J-A-N-C-E-R.com. And on the homepage there, there's a place to sign up for the newsletter. Every other week, I send out a writing-related prompt. I'm trying to alternate one about craft and one about process or inspiration. Um, and then once a month, I do a drawing for a writing-related book giveaway. So all you have to do is respond to the email to enter your name in the drawing. And this year, I'm trying something fun, which is at the first every every month now. I'm sending a writing prompt for the month. Not a prompt, a writing challenge for the month. So January's was to look at your beginnings. Look at the first sentences of things that you write. Uh, February's, I'm not going to give it away, but it's fun. Um, and so I'm just going to just send those out just if you want something to experiment with in your writing. Uh, so that's, I would love it if you want to sign up. I have a wonderful community of people, including Emily, there that I hear from. <laughs> and I try not to overwhelm your inbox. Uh, occasionally, if there's I have a sale or if I'm working on a book and I'm looking for ideas, I'll send something around about that too. Um, but easy to sign up and I'd love to meet you. You can also you know, if you have any questions, just send me your responses to this. Just Anne at AnneJanzer.com is my email. And I'd love to hear from people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend connecting with Anne. Thank so you. Anne, thank you so much for your time today. It was really helpful. And I'll continue to learn from you. Oh, thanks, Emily. And, and vice versa. I love reading what you send. And I'm so glad to have met you in all of this wonderful writing journey. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode of Career Cohort. I'm Emily Wong. You can find all of my podcasts and blog posts at wordsofdistinction.net. And if you'd like to chat about how I can help you define the next step in your career, head over to the same website and book a time on my calendar for a free consultation to discuss how I can help you achieve your goals. Please be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great content. Music